This is 15-Minute Fundamentals, where we interview core contributors within crypto and gain insights into their day-to-day -day operations. While the total daily borrowing volume across major lending protocols has declined by around 75% from $32 billion to $8 billion over the past year, Euler Finance stands out as they've managed to grow steadily against the bear market. Looking at the valuation multiples of major lending protocols, Euler currently sits at a price-to-sales ratio of 50, which is well under the current market average and over three times below the lending incumbent compounds price-to-sales ratio of 170. In the second episode with Euler Finance, we discuss the market developments and how they've affected the DeFi lending market, the drivers behind Euler's growth, what the team is currently working on, the Euler DAO, and more. Hi, Michael. It's great to see you again. It's been a long time. Before we dive in, I just I just have to ask, how have you been doing as a founder CEO in these turbulent markets? Getting any sleep? Uh, there's been some sleepless nights, I won't lie. But overall, pretty good, to be honest. In this environment, I actually feel really optimistic because the, the kind of drama around everything's died down a little bit now. Obviously, there's stuff going on with FTX, which is distracting people. But it really does feel like there's a bit of sort of free time now to actually concentrate on building stuff, which has been nice. Uh, but, you know, have moments of clarity where I can actually sit for a couple of hours and do some actual theory work and try and build cool stuff. So Awesome. That's always great to hear. Then before we dive into any of the details, I know last time we spoke was around March, April, and a lot has happened since then. It'd be great to get a high level overview of the biggest updates over that time period from Euler's point of view. One of the biggest things that happened was I think in early July, we helped put together a fundraise with the DAO that was led by Juan Ventures. So it was a 32 million round that helped diversify the DAO's treasury, which, you know, I really came at a great time. We brought on board some excellent partners, you know, Horn Ventures, Coinbase, Jane Street. We also did have on board FTX, who presumably now won't be participating and helping out. But yeah, we brought on board Variant as well, who've been absolutely tremendous throughout the whole chaos of the last few months. After that period, actually, uh, despite there being a bear market, the, the nice thing about Euler was that just almost day after day, it was hitting you know new highs with regard to a number of users using the, the protocol and TVL was, was rising steadily. Only until very recently when um, there was a, a small incident involving FTX, which led to some volatility, shall we say, in the usage of the protocol and TVL and so on. But it's back to normal now. Everything's sort of moving in the right direction again. So yeah, it's been great. It's been mainly a period for consolidation and steady growth. The key thing is to prove that the this protocol can withstand these kind of pressures. That's how we built it, right? With a, this risk framework uh, in mind from the outset. And it's been really, really nice to see it handle all this really, really well. So Let's speak about that growth that you mentioned. I mean, you started on this up only trajectory almost right after our interview. So I could say that that was the catalyst there, but I think there might have been <laughs> might have been something else as well. So do you want to speak a bit about the drivers that put you on that track? Yeah, I think people recognize the, the benefits that Euler as a protocol offers. Lending protocols are mainly used, I think, by crypto native whales, hedge funds, institutions, if you will. And slowly but surely, the word is getting out that Euler is a useful protocol for them. So uh, that's been driving more users on the borrowing side of things, which in turn has been you know creating attractive yields for the lenders as well. So yeah, a couple of interesting markets really spurred that on. The stake teeth, wrap stake teeth market was a big one uh, on Euler. What's unique about that on Euler is that unlike other lending protocols, people can take two-sided positions on, on the stake teeth thing. So typically before Euler came along, people would just uh, deposit stake teeth, use that as a collateral to borrow more ETH, wrap that or swap it into stake teeth and deposit that again and kind of cycle around and kind of lever up on the stake teeth yield. Now that created quite a big one-sided market. I think, you know, there's a lot of people essentially long on stake teeth and short ETH and uh, those kind of one-sided markets 
markets tend to be unsustainable. And of course, there was then some volatility around the stake teeth market. And people were using Euler, which allows two-sided markets. It allows you to both lend stake teeth and use it as collateral, but also to borrow it and therefore to short it or use it as a, you know, to hedge positions. We saw a lot of institutions using Euler for that purpose as well. So yeah, it's mainly been about, I think, slowly, progressively getting the word out that Euler offers something very, very different to that which you can get on other big protocols like Compound and Aave. So the incumbents are, are doing well, but Euler offers something different. I think people are increasingly recognizing that. That's great. And especially while the market has thrown quite a stress test at all lending protocols. And um, as we are in these highly volatile and deep in the bear, so also illiquid times in the market, I'd love if you could speak a bit about what kind of risks this current situation presents to lending protocols and then also how you've addressed them at Euler. Yeah, I think one of the biggest challenges when liquidity changes for, for assets, it requires an adjustment of previous risk assumptions. So something that might have been suitable as a collateral at the peak of the market when there was lots of liquidity in the market may no longer be suitable for use as collateral or at least not suitable in the same way that it once was. So for instance, if you have somebody depositing, say, $50 million of, of asset A, if there's no longer $50 million of asset A on DEXs, then clearly using the asset as collateral is going to be challenging if liquidations need to, to be processed, right? People borrowing against asset A may be doing so, and as the prices shift around, it might be the case that somebody needs to come in, essentially take the asset A, sell it on decentralized exchange, or whatever it was that they were borrowing. And if there's just not enough liquidity on the marketplace to do that, then that's when you get real risks of bad debt scenarios arising. So that's one of the biggest challenges, I think, illiquidity really uh, makes liquidations much more challenging for protocols. As to how Euler addresses this, well, there's been a few things. I mean, the DAO, firstly, has taken very sensible steps to kind of be proactive in adjusting protocol parameters. Something like Matic, which was extremely liquid during the bull market, became a little less liquid. And so that was something that used to be collateral on Euler, but which no longer is. The DAO was very proactive about uh, decreasing the collateral factor on that. And um, indeed, Euler probably has the most conservative set of collaterals of any, any major lending protocol today. So proactive DAO risk management has been one thing. But in terms of the mechanisms on the protocol, there's quite a few of those as well. I think people already know about the isolated market model that we have. Most of our markets on Euler are isolated and only the most liquid kind of A-grade assets have more permissive settings, which allow them to be cross-borrowed, used as collateral and so on. Another major innovation, which was really quite simple, to be honest, but really helps in these conditions is the introduction of borrow factors on Euler. Most people will know that there's a collateral factor associated with assets on lending protocols. Usually it's say something like 0.5, which means if you deposit $1,000 of you know USDC, then you can you get $500 worth of borrowing power. On most protocols, that's where it ends, right? That $500 worth of borrowing power can be used to borrow anything. And if you're borrowing USDT, for instance, against USDC, then that's quite low risk because the two are very, very correlated in price. In fact, they're almost always pegged to a dollar, right? If you're borrowing something that's way more volatile or, or, or anti-correlated, like Link or something else, right? Then these assets are much more volatile compared to USDC. And that means that that creates challenges uh, and poses risks for the protocol. And so in general, it should be the case that you should be able to borrow borrow less when you're borrowing something that's vol volatile, be able to borrow some more of something when it's correlated to the asset you're using as collateral. And so borrow factors do that as well. Essentially, they, they make sure that the asset that you're borrowing, if it's a volatile asset, you'll be able to borrow less of it in general. Overall, that means that when people borrow these things, there's a much bigger buffer for liquidations. And so if there is illiquidity in the market and so on, you don't need to, to worry as much. But if you have a collateral factor of 0.9 on USDC and you allow people to borrow lots of vol volatile things like curves, 
of link, you know, uni, all these things that were very, very liquid in the bull market, which are a little bit less so now, then that's a very small buffer to be able to work with when it comes to processing liquidations. Borrow factors fix that, I think. Yeah. And let's speak about that bad debt situation because it's a pretty timely topic. Uh, for example, Ava just recently made the decision to suddenly freeze a bunch of V2 mainnet markets. And I know Compound has had to react to some things as well. So I have seen Euler mentioned in a positive light alongside a bunch of these discussions. And I even saw you go back and forth with Stani a bit, uh, one of the threads on Twitter. So uh, I want to hear your general thoughts on this bad debt situation that Aave and uh, I think Compound partially as well as found themselves in. Yeah, first of all, I mean, like Aave is a terrific protocol and definitely, you know, the leading lending protocol in DeFi right now. So it's hard to be too critical. But I think the absence of borrow factors or other risk mitigation mechanisms were a bit of a key factor there. This issue, the fact that you could borrow so much curve or CRV token, you could borrow the same amount of CRV as you could borrow USDT against your USDC positions. That, that's really an issue when you've got huge amounts being deposited into the protocol and then, you know, decreasing liquidity on the markets. So there was a little bit of Back and forth about that idea. Obviously, we know that Aave V3 is coming out, and I, I think they've got some mechanisms that address this kind of thing. A slightly different mechanism to the one oil uses. I think they're big advocates of supply and borrow caps as well on markets, which I think is sensible and something that oil DAO should look to, look to as well uh, as an additional mechanism to be able to support these markets. But yeah, in general, I mean, Aave has a dis- different model. I mean, it's arguably has a different model for decentralization as well. They have partners that help come in and make these decisions on their behalf as well, right, with the DAO. So um, I'm sure that those partners have been, you know, performing simulations and looking at the markets and trying to figure out how to reduce risk there. And it looks like they've done that very recently. So I think that's sensible, to be perfectly honest. I think the main thing for DeFi right now is to prove that it works. And so far, it's done that really, really well. You know, while CeFi is out there struggling, uh, DeFi, Aave, Euler, Compound, all have been relatively unharmed despite these incredibly hostile conditions right and so um, yeah i think for for all of us it's great to see great to see that exactly and you mentioned the Euler dow now and a few times and the important role it plays last time we spoke uh, that wasn't around yet so how did that launch go and where are you now in terms of uh, the decentralization of Euler? it launched i guess shortly after we spoke actually so probably late july early august i think and uh, yeah it's been a process it's interesting watching a dow kind of form from the the, the ground up and tried to kind of encourage plant seeds of decentralized management of the protocol. It's also been a little tricky, I think, in the kind of market conditions because there's been a lot less interest in general in participation and people have other things to focus on than worrying about DAOs. So I, I think Euler DAO is, is shaping up nicely. It's an extremely active DAO. If you go to forum.euler.finance, you'll see that there's been lots of proposals, lots of back and forth. There's been engagement from lots of other um, projects and people from elsewhere in the ecosystem as well. So it's extremely active. I'd still like to see a movement to more of an on-chain kind of management for some things. Right now, we're still uh, using off-chain voting for um, lots of the decision-making using Snapshot. Probably uh, not as robust and censorship-resistant as on-chain voting in the end, but there are obviously trade-offs with these things. And in all honesty, my view is that down management as a whole is something that's still in its infancy and uh, still quite inefficient. And so I'd like to see innovations there as well. Got it. And then there was like uh, two products, product features that I wanted to quickly discuss as well of which one was the fee-less flash loans that you offer uh, because that's quite different to, to other solutions you see out there. So w- what's the reasoning behind going fee-less there and, uh, and your approach in general? Yeah, it's uh, something people ask us about a lot because it seems like a feature, right? You can you can flash loan assets from Euler and so that's a benefit to the person using your flash loan. So surely they'd be prepared to pay a fee for that. Why would you not 
accept a fee in that case. Yeah, there's a, a kind of philosophical idea behind this, I suppose, which is firstly, usually when people take out loans, the loan lasts for some period of time, right? It lasts for seconds, hours, days, months, whatever. And usually you pay interest proportional or in some kind of relation to the amount of time that you've taken out the loan for. And a flash loan is very different because it's actually, you know, in some sense it, it exists for zero seconds. So you're borrowing money for zero seconds. And it also poses no risk real, really to the lender of the flash loan as well. Normally, the interest paid by a borrower is some kind of compensation for the risk taken on by the lender. And that's not really true in a flash loan. Like I'm guaranteed to pay it back because of the atomic nature of transactions on Ethereum. So in some sense, yeah, there's, you, you think, what should the flash loan borrower be paying for, really? There's no actual amount of interest time you know there's the time value of the kind of of the loan there so what that means is that in the marketplace i think if there was just a competitive market for flash loans the fees paid for those flash loans should tend to zero because the cost basis for them is is negligible and usually the market is more and more efficient and kind of drives down prices to the kind of marginal level of profitability which here is is zero so we've seen fees flash loan fees tending towards zero and then euler when we built the protocol we decided well let's just make them zero okay and a couple of reasons for that one, it actually is really useful in terms of a kind of marketing or advertising tool. People that want to use flash loans are also people that are kind of DeFi power users. And so it's nice for them. They go, well, I can get fearless flash loans from Euler. So I'm going to use Euler. And then they come and discover the protocol. They understand how it works. They build on it. They write smart contracts to interact with it and so on. And therefore, in some sense, they may be more likely to use it for other fee-paying kind of mechanisms that provide lenders with interest in the future. So that's one thing. It's kind of a marketing tool. It also helps deprive competitors, if you will, of, of a source of revenue since they're no, you know, people use Euler for the flash loans. They don't pay fees to other protocols. But there's also a couple of key use cases and, and things that you, you don't want to inhibit with flash loan fees. One thing that people often do with flash loans is kind of take leverage positions. So they'll uh, like borrow a lot more than their principal to in some other kind of position elsewhere in DeFi. And when you add on fees, even if they're very, very small, you know, a few basis points, actually people end up levering up on the amount of fees they pay. And so these small basis point kind of fees that seem harmless actually end up being leveraged and that makes these flash loans quite expensive. And oftentimes you don't want to inhibit leverage or like people taking big positions in the, the ecosystem. That's the whole point of these protocols is to enable very like high level of composability and uh, ability to build complex positions and so on. So you don't want to inhibit that behavior. And so in some sense, it's better just to, to do away with fees altogether. Makes total sense. Then the second feature I want to speak about, which uh, you've been teasing at least on Twitter a little bit where I came across the first time is a new Euler swap AMM. Now, I don't know how much of the details you're willing to share around that, but I'd uh, like to hear at least about the flaws that you see in the Uniswap AMM model and how you're planning on tackling them? Yeah, good question. So I suppose just about the just a quick note about why we started thinking about this this space. It actually doesn't come from a place of wanting necessarily to compete with Uniswap outright or anything like that. The the original problem we wanted to, to solve was the problem of decentralized price oracles. There aren't many decentralized price oracles in the ecosystem. There are actually only two that's really been developed. I think Uniswap V2, which are not very good, uh, and Uniswap V3, which were much much better, much better design for their Oracle, but became a little bit less secure after the merge for reasons that we can discuss another time if you like. And so if Euler and other protocols need to use decentralized price oracles, it's a shame because there isn't really a great market for that right now. So we started thinking about, well, how could you build a better decentralized price oracle that could service um, all types of assets and not just the most liquid ones like Chainlink does? 
And so, yeah, we started thinking about that problem. You know, that really comes from doing so much research on the risks from Uniswap V3 oracles. We, we put out tons of research papers and talked about that a lot because we were using them on Euler. Like, how do you attack these oracles and so on? So we felt like we understood the problem really well. And we therefore felt like we also might understand how you mitigate those kind of problems quite well. And so we started building an oracle. And as part of that process, we came to the realization that the best way to make a secure decentralized price oracle is to kind of embed the security properties in the, the kind of core of the AMM itself, um, which is to say that you can't just build like a cool AMM and then put like a cool Oracle on top and like it all works. I think actually if you want an AMM that provides an Oracle, you want to build the security properties right really deep down into the way that the AMM fundamentally works from the ground up. And uh, clearly nothing like that exists today. So we started building on thinking about Euler swap primarily as a tool for people to access this decentralized price oracles that are secure and robust against attacks and so on. Moving on to your question though, because obviously to do that, well, it's no good just building another AMM, right? If there's no liquidity, if people don't use it. So you actually have to make something that people want to use, that liquidity providers want to bring assets to, swappers want to interact with, which means it needs to be efficient. And where do we see gaps in the market? You know, where are the inefficiencies in existing technologies? I think What's amazing about Uniswap V2 is that it democratizes liquidity provision and it's extremely efficient because the market making positions are fungible. And that was one of the things I absolutely loved about UniV2 is it kind of packaged in retail market makers along with more sophisticated active you know managers usually and uni v3 uh, kind of did away with that obviously that led to an increase in capital efficiency of uni v3 which is amazing and it's why it's such a good protocol to use today but there's still that element lacking right that if you want to kind of take positions that are provided to Uniswap v3 and use them in a composable way elsewhere in DeFi. You can't really do that. The, the positions nowadays are NFTs, they're, they're non-fungible, which makes them hard to use elsewhere in DeFi. And also you've lost that kind of that nice romantic vision that, of DeFi where kind of retail and institutions are on the same page, right? Now, really, I think to be profitable on Uniswap v3, you have to actively manage these positions. And that is very, very costly to do, not just in terms of time and expertise and knowledge, but also in terms of gas fees. As a retail user, you can't really keep pulling and pushing like liquidity back and forth because the, the gas fees are going to eat into any you know, real fees that you make from the exchange. So one of the things we want to try to do with Oilerswap, uh, and it's still in a research and development phase, is build an AMM which has auto-concentration properties built into the structure of the protocol itself, which allows concentrated liquidity to flow around the current price in different ways for different types of assets. Usually for stable coins, which are things which are very, very correlated, you can you see empirically on Uniswap v3 that liquidity really really concentrates very tightly around the, the current price and then for assets like I don't know an ETH versus link pair you see that you get like a much broader range of liquidity and of course that's because the price itself is very much more volatile and so you can provide liquidity in a broader range and still be profitable and in some sense we feel like it may be possible to automate the process of concentrated liquidity for users so that process of concentration and contraction happens automatically with different types of asset pairs. I think that in, in the long run may be effective because essentially people aren't required to pay those gas fees to constantly rebalance their liquidity. That's one of the ideas. There's a few other things in there that I probably won't touch on now. You know, the things that we're working on, thinking about a bit more like single-sided liquidity and also about how you integrate these liquidity positions, these LP tokens in a more useful way with lending protocols. It's been said before that 
LPing on Uniswap is kind of like taking a short position. And there's, you know, interesting things you can do with that then. If you borrow and sell an LP position, you end up taking a long position on the underlying asset. And yeah, there are lots of interesting new markets that, that potentially could be created by having a slightly different token model for fungible liquidity positions on, on DEXs. So that's something else we're, we're exploring. A lot of stuff. Thank you for the comprehensive breakdown of what you're planning on working on. That's that's great. Then finally, I just love to hear about the biggest upcoming milestones and what are you working on from a general and technical perspective? So what's next for Euler? We have two teams really now, these two different kind of projects, the Euler team and the Euler Swap team. Euler Swap's not confirmed as a name, but that's kind of what we call it in-house. The Euler Lending team are also working on a bunch of things as well, Euler Labs that we'll be putting to the DAO in the future and see if, you know, what, what, what direction they want to take Euler. I think there are a few kind of simple things that could be do, used to, to kind of update and improve the way the protocol works. Definitely supply and borrow caps are something that, that we've, you know, wanted to explore. But um, one of the other big challenges I think that you see in, in lending and borrowing is that people want to be able to use more volatile assets as collateral. And right now, the Euler lending protocol is extremely conservative on that. It puts risk management way ahead of capital efficiency when it comes to collateral assets. But people definitely want to borrow against these these tokens. And in some sense, it's not completely unsafe to do so. It just, to do that, you have to create kind of isolate risks essentially to smaller, smaller pools, I think, in order to make that kind of process safe so that you know if there is liquidity issues and so on like it doesn't make the entire protocol blow up but it means that some lenders take on board more risk and maybe get exposed to that risk if if there's kind of excessive volatility the oil lending team have been working on ways to allow any asset to be listed as collateral on oil and in a way that would provide more capital efficiency to the protocol it's in the direction of the raw refuse kind of idea but unlike raw refuse where you had multiple isolated pools which is a kind of capital inefficient way to do things. The approach that we're exploring is one in which kind of Euler sits as the kind of key funnel in which liquidity enters and then you have isolated environments in which people can borrow against any asset within the context of Euler itself. As I say in a kind of isolated sub pool of some sort which means you get the best of both worlds ideally. That's the that's the plan. Great. Uh, a lot of exciting stuff again. Can't wait to see how everything plays out. As always thank you so much Michael for taking the time to do this. It's always a pleasure speaking with you and uh, we'll do this again. Yeah definitely let's speak again hopefully in the new year we should have um, some interesting things to, to showcase so it'd be good to catch up then thanks for having me